Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S., and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you again to another episode of Now Appalachia, broadcast and heard all around the United States and all around the world, courtesy of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, as we welcome you to our first podcast interview of the year 2022. Hope you had a great 2021, that you enjoyed the holiday season with your friends and family, and are looking forward to an outstanding 2022. We certainly are here on Now Appalachia as we continue to bring you the outstanding authors and publishers who are writing from and about Appalachia and how those regions and how that region influences and impacts their work. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us as we kick off our first interview of the 2022 calendar year. And we have a fantastic author and a great book that we're going to be talking about today. Our guest as we kick off 2022 is John Copenhaver, and his new book is called The Savage Kind. And John Copenhaver joins us. He is the author of the other novel, Dodging and Burning, which won the McCavity Award for Best First Mystery Novel and garnered Anthony Strand Critics, Barry, and Lambda Literary Award nominations. He writes a crime fiction review column for Lambda Literary called Blacklight. He is a co-host of the House of Mystery radio show and is the six-time recipient of Artist Fellowships from the Washington, D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. He's a Larry Neal awardee, and his work has appeared in Crime Reads, Electric Lit, Glitter Wolf, New York Journal of Books, and other publications. And he lives in Virginia with his husband, artist Jeffrey Paul. And it's my pleasure to welcome in John Copenhaver with us today to talk about his new book. It's called The Savage Kind. It's a dark, captivating novel that follows two teenage girls who grow close to one another while they're solving a murder mystery and in the process of doing so, discover that they are each more capable of cruelty than they realized. So I can't wait to talk to John about the books. John, welcome to the program. It's great to have you with us today. Elliot, thanks so much for having me on. It's a real treat. Well, my pleasure to have you and... uh, I started reading your book in late 2021 as we got into sort of Halloween, Thanksgiving, (laughs) Christmas season, uh, and it was one of those books that I got into and got nothing done over the course of a weekend because I couldn't put it down, and I'm so glad to have you on the program to talk about it. I I wanted to start first with some stylistic questions about how you you put the book together, and then we'll get into... uh, you know, character and things of, things of that sort. Um, one of the first things I wanted to ask you about is I was reading your book and this reminded me very much of, um, of, of Megan Abbott in a way because mm-hmm. she's another thriller writer that some of our pe- some of our listeners in the audience may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she's been doing uh, over the last several books and really over the last several years is kind of uh, looking at crime noir and crime noir fiction through the eyes of adolescent girls. But mm-hmm. her kind of take on that is bad things happen to these adolescent girls and they have to respond as an act of revenge or as an act of trying to make it right, whatever it is that's happened to them. But you kind of take a a little bit different twist on this in the fact that um, we've got two girls here who um, uh, uh, are are very much um, 
uh, co-equals as we see them develop and as we see the story develop. And, uh, and, and they're very much involved kind of in, in what goes on and ultimately what happens to other people uh, in the story. Right. <laughs> so I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about that, about kind of taking that crime noir theme that maybe Megan Abbott has kind of established over the last few years and, and putting your own little twist on it and, and how that came to be and, and why you decided to go that route with your two characters. Yeah, well, I, th- I think um, for both, you know, Philippa and Judy, I really wanted to uh, essentially t- tell a kind of backstory for the femme fatale, like this, you know, character that we all know from crime fiction. I think my choice uh, to, to set it in 1948 is deliberately in conversation with that, you know, uh, that archetype, which I think kind of had her heyday in that time period, particularly like, you know, in, in, in film, particularly I'm thinking, um, but I, I really also wanted them to be active and um, I wanted them to, you know, essentially be on a journey, not just to figure out some things about who they are uh, in terms of their identities, but also what they're capable of. (laughs) Um, And maybe which is kind of, finding out a bit who you are. Um, and, you know, I think they're both on very different journeys, although they collide um, and, and, and at times have parallel. But I think um, I did want to play with this idea of self-discovery, of uh, identity, particularly in an interesting time period for that. Um, the, the girls would in our, you know, day identify as queer. I think um, their sexualities are... are uh, a little different from each other, uh, but, but I think, um, you know, that what I needed to play into it. And um, anyway, so I was just, you know, I think there's a lot that I wanted to kind of tease out of the femme fatale kind of character. Meanwhile, she had to, you know, be a femme fatale. They have, you know, they had to be clever and, um, and they had to be ruthless at times and vengeful at times. And, um, and so that was kind of almost a requirement when I, when I was, you know, in conversation with that archetype. Excellent. Very well said. And let's talk about these two characters. And then I have another process question. I'll ask you how you set them up and what you put them through early on in the story. So Judy Peabody lives in Washington, DC and Philippa Watson, as you mentioned a moment ago, she's kind of the newcomer. She starts at a new school there uh, outside of Washington, DC, her father and her stepmother move there and they bring her along. Um, and, those two sort of take on and there's an instant connection made between Philippa and Judy mm-hmm. and sort of circulating around that uh, is their teacher, Mrs. Martins, right. who is, is notices the relationship and notices that these two girls are not only connected, uh, you know, by friendship, but academically are, are very strong and that they're very interested in, in reading and literature and, and writing and, and that they have that they have that interest. What is it about, about Philippa and, and, and Judy other than kind of their love for writing and, and books and all of that, uh, that makes them so strongly connected to where uh, they kind of instantly connect and, and stay connected throughout everything that happens to them in the book? 
Yeah, well, I think although they show up in the world very differently, Judy um, is, is some version of 1948 goth. I mean, she they wouldn't call it that, but that's what she's kind of doing, where she's wearing her darkness on the outside with the, you know, the black bob and sort of the clothes that are not really of period um, and not necessarily flattering, but she wears them kind of, you know, so she's you know, she cuts a wide swath or any room. <laughs> Whereas Philippa is, you know, very much of the period with the saddle oxfords and the, you know, the the bows and the, you know, the pastels and all the stuff that she sort of kind of considers girly, I guess, essentially. But I think pretty early they recognize that they have kindred hearts, like they they are they have a darkness in both their personal histories that I think they notice almost by instinct at first. And then once they get to know each other, find out a little bit more that in fact, you know, they, they do have a lot in common. Both of them um, have uh, big losses in their childhood. Uh, Judy sort of, you know, dramatically doesn't know who she is essentially where she came from. And then Philippa, um, uh, her mother died in childbirth. So she's lived her life without a mother. And, um, and so I think that these, these sort of darknesses in them kind of find each other. Um, so on, on the surface, they look so different, but in reality, there's a lot of connection there. And I wanted to ask you sort of a follow-up question to that idea of, of their connection and how they're similar and different with, with a plot point that occurs um, around a third or midway through the book mm -hmm. when uh, Philippa is going to Miss Martin's apartment to return a book that Miss Martin's has let her borrow uh, mm -hmm. to read. And as she comes into the apartment and she sees Mrs. Martin's kind of in a in a compromising position or a compromising situation mm -hmm. uh, with a half-dressed man. Mm -hmm. And she kind of flips out and freaks out and, and takes off. And she goes and tells Judy what happened. Right. <laughs> what, how does Philippa handle that, what she saw? And what is Judy's reaction to what uh, Philippa tells her? Because I think it shows really in that scene how their personalities are similar and different in terms of how they respond to that. What happens when Philippa tells Judy about what she saw at Miss Martin's apartment? Yeah, so essentially Philippa, you know, has um, held up her teacher on a pedestal and Miss Martins is just very ideal in their minds, I think in, in different ways for each girl, but uh, she's intelligent, she's, you know, well-dressed, very poised, um, you know, I think that certainly for Philippa, she is a model for her and she's kind of looking for a model uh, to, to, to search shape herself after because she doesn't really have that in her life. And, um, but Philippa is a bit naive um, about, you know, the world and, and people's sex lives, for instance. And like, she doesn't really, you know, so what she sees, she's not sure. I mean, it, it seems violent to her. So maybe it was something um, like an assault. Maybe it was, she, her reaction is just so impulsive and she, she kind of dashes out before really she even investigates to see if, her teacher's okay. And so, you know, whereas Judy's like, are you sure what you saw is what you think you saw? Because it might've been something else, you know, it could have been like rough sex or something. And, you know, of course they, they put it very much in the 19, you know, circa 1950 terms, but you know, Judy knows what it, you know, what it might be. And it's still not sure, you know, a lot of the book hinges around what actually Philippa saw. And, um, and, and, and I think they go through different phases of thinking about it and, and, and you know, 
um, trying to analyze and, and think about what it was. And then of course, when, when Ms. Martins returns after the event, she's changed. So then they sort of start thinking maybe something worse has gone on. But I think that like certainly their two attitudes about that, Judy is just more world wise. She's, she's lived in, you know, she, she was adopted. Um, she's lived in orphanage, orphanages. She's, um, dealt with some pretty bad situations where honestly, although there's this darkness in Philippa, she's had a pretty cushy, comfortable life. Um, and so in what some ways their differences are, uh, that they're, although they have darkness in them, that kind of resonates their upbringings are kind of in, in very different kinds of stories. Um, and so, and, and then also you just even living kind of in the city and living the way Judy lives, um, I think gives her that, that the edge of understanding that maybe sometimes um, Philippa can be a little bit, you know, uh, naive about. <laughs> yes, ab absolutely. Very good. Yes. And I want to ask you, uh, it kind of tied into what you just said a moment ago about Mrs. Martin's kind of changes after uh, Philippa sees her in that apartment. Yeah. Well, we meet another student named Cleveland Kloss who kind of filters into the story. Yeah. And, and Judy and um, Philippa observe Mrs. Martin's and Cleveland kind of having a uh, a spat or a disagreement. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Cleveland and, and Miss Martins and, and their relationship, because it was strikingly, strikingly different to the relationship that she had, I think, with Philippa and Judy. Right. So she has this very warm, friendly, um, you know, uh, uh, bordering a little bit almost on inappropriate, particularly for the time period relationship with J Judy and Philippa in the sense that She's kind of almost acting like their best friend or their older sister at times. And, um, you know, I definitely had Miss Jean Brody in mind a little bit. I don't know if you, you know that, that book, but, you know, I think that sort of how much you divulge about your life and how, you know, I think that sort of connection, although I really, I think that was really important to them as well. Um, and I've had, I've had teachers like that and I've worked with teachers like that. And it's, it's interesting to see. I don't think it's always the healthiest choice, but it's interesting. And so, um, whereas, like, uh, I think in, in um, uh, uh, Cleveland Claus's case, he's, you know, visibly angry at Miss Martins, um, and we don't know why. Uh, it's actually a bit bizarre. And the, early on, the girls start noticing it, and he sort of starts turning his anger towards them, and they don't really understand it. Um, and it's very perplexing to them, but also it, it, I think in their minds, a little bit dismissible too, in the sense that, you know, he just seems like an angry boy, <laughs> you know, what is this guy doing? You know, um, I don't, I don't get it. And so, you know, of course this, the mystery unfolds and as mysteries do, a lot of the stuff is connected, but, um, maybe not in the ways you necessarily anticipate, but I think that, um, you know, there is a real difference um, that sort of un, like uh, uh, that anger that you can't really, um, you know, put a finger on um, definitely haunts. And in fact, it seems to haunt Mrs. Martins too. She's not 100% sure why he's so angry at her. We're speaking with author John Copenhaver here on Now Appalachia about his new book. It's called The Savage Kind, and we'll come back and talk more uh, about the book here in uh, just a couple of minutes. But uh, John, I wanted to ask you, uh, who, uh, what are you reading right now? What are some books and uh, some authors that you've read here recently that uh, really caught your attention or stood out to you, either something that you've read recently or what are you reading right now? 
Well, what I, what I you just mentioned Megan Abbott, so I, I'm, I'm in the midst of reading her new book. I'm kind of behind on my reading because my fall has been, been crazy. But um, but certainly uh, the turnout is, of course, uh, as as always with with uh, Megan's work, it's just amazing. She's such a great writer. Um, and then I am reading. This is really for my next book, and this is not anything new. But I'm rereading Lolita. <laughs> um, <laughs> and why Lolita? <laughs> so I mean I, I kind of trying to I mean it was written around the the follow-up to the Savage kind of set in the 1950s early 1950s and of course it was um, I, there's a, a running thing through all my books the, the girls are very attracted to banned books so I tried to read banned books fam, you know that they might find or now this one probably doesn't fit up their time quite because they wouldn't have had knowledge of it quite yet but it was just, you know, I think really interesting to think about. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a fascinating and complex and sort of disturbing book, honestly. Um, and I think when I first read it, I didn't really understand it. And, and in a way that I think now it was particularly with 20, you know, 20, 2021 lenses, we start looking at that book and thinking, you know, maybe a little differently about it than we did 10 years ago and 10, 15 years ago, when I first read it. So I do a lot of that. I do a lot of re- going back and reading the classics. Um, you know, of course, I, I review um, LGBTQ crime fiction for Lambda. And, um, and so I'm often reading that as, as well. But this fall has been so busy. I've been really focused on just getting my schoolwork done. So. <laughs> I understand that totally. I understand that totally. And I, that leads kind of my next question. It leads into my next question. I, I know you teach uh, as an adjunct, a faculty member of Virginia Commonwealth University. Plus you have uh, uh, a day job teaching students um, uh, at sort of a pr- private prep uh, school. Um, so how do you squeeze all that in and find time to write and find time to read and find time to do your column, <laughs> the Lambda's magazine? How do you do, how, how do you get it all done? How do you balance all of that? Uh, well, it is definitely tricky. Um, you know, it's, it's only been this past fall that I've had all those things on my plate. Um, but, uh, you know, I was working and had for many years uh, taught and, and chaired at a day school outside of D.C., but then recently moved to Richmond. And um, I mean, it's it's I can't do it all, honestly. Um, and some things have to fall by the wayside. I, I spent a lot of last year when I wasn't working. I took a, a break, um, sort of self-opposed sabbatical to write. And I did a lot of, you know, reviewing and a lot of article writing and that kind of thing. And worked with, of course, the new, this new novel. Um, so now it's been a lot of focus on teaching. Um, but typically, you know, I write during the, you know, on the weekend, Sunday mornings, and I write, of course, a vacation and I prefer the sustained writing time. Um, I'm not one of those right on your lunch break kind of guys. It just, no way. I can't really write in the week very easily. Um, I have here a little, it's been a little better here because I haven't had a just awful commute I had in DC. <laughs> But uh, and then I love books on tape. I do I do, do a lot of multitasking. So I'll pop in a book and listen um, as well as, you know, write. And I, I love books on tape and, and of course, podcasts like this one. Um, but I think that, you know, you get so much information while accomplishing some other mundane task like breaking leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very good. I wanted to ask you, since you're our first author interview for 2022, I know there's a lot of people out there that are writers or are writing or they want to write their book they're going to get their first book done 
2022, whatever that means. We could put quotation marks around done because that means different things for different right. people. But 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 that's often a common New Year's resolution that I, I know you hear from from readers and, and and writers and I do as well. That they're going to get that book done that they've been thinking about for five years. They're going to get it done in 2022. <laughs> What's a piece of advice you would give them as they're starting that journey? It could either be process or craft or, you know, the end game at the end. You know, what, what's a piece of advice if somebody's thinking about starting their book in 2022 or they're going to they're going to tackle that story or that novel for the first time? What's some advice you would give them as they are going through that process and that journey? Um, I think that, you know, uh, I think you you have to just continue um, to push forward. I, I think that essentially. I think one thing is that there's a trap sort of embedded in, in setting a goal like that, first of all, um, and you were kind of alluding to it, you're really never done. And what you're, what you're writing, it might take six months to write, it may take six years to write. So the point isn't trying to get something done by a certain time period. The, the, the point is to get your best work completed whenever it needs to be completed. And the only thing, the only mistake you make is just stop working. So, um, you know, if you write a page, in a month or you write, you know, hundred pages in a month, as long as it feels like good work, then you're going forward. Now, if you're just churning out page after page, just to say you got a certain amount of words down, uh, I don't know. I mean, unless you're really going to jump in and make it amazing, but I think counting success, progress in terms of number of words, I'm dubious about. Um, I think there's a lot of writing in the world right now. And I don't think it's all great. And I've judged a few contests recently that might sort of be evidence of that, um, even published work. I think we, we, do, we need more excellent books, not more books. <laughs> and so I think thinking about that and not rushing things, but just keeping after it. Yeah, we, well, I agree with that. I think we need more quality, not quantity. Exactly, uh, in, yes. In terms of what's out there and what's being published and what's being um, made available for consumable content. I, I completely agree with yeah. that. Uh, you're listening to Now Appalachia on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We are speaking to our first author for the 2022. His name is John Copenhaver, and his new book is a terrific one. It's called The Savage Kind. And John, I wanted to go back to the book and, and ask you a few more questions about it. Um, this is more kind of a style question, but I, it really caught my attention as I was reading. I love the fact that you allow in the story both girls, both uh, Philippa and Judy, to tell their sides of the story as to what's happening. And you, you kind of do it through diary entries mm -hmm. um, or journal entries as we're reading. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, putting that together, is, is that something that you wrote all of Philippa's entries first and then went back and did Judy's? Or did you, in drafting, alternate back and forth like we see it in the book? How did all that come together? And, and were there challenges in kind of alternating those points of view as the story unfolded? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there were lots of challenges with this one. Um, and talk about a journey. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the original version of this book, and it had a different title at that point, was written in, in third person only from Philippa's point of view. So, and now the plot did change a bit when I was revising, but I realized it wasn't working. And, um, and my agent confirmed that. <laughs> and so I went back, I, I had her figure it out. And, um, and there are a lot of reasons why I don't think it was working. I think it was some of the headspace I was in when I was writing at that point in time, this was several years ago. 
And I needed to do something different. I need to make it more immediate. Um, and I needed to pull in Judy's perspective. Um, and so I made the decision to uh, do diary entries because, I mean, it felt very appropriate for teenagers, first of all, especially circa 1948. And, um, and it creates an immediacy, um, but some flexibility of reflection. It's really interesting to think about because they don't, you know, you're still, there's still reflection in diary entries, you know, it's not this sort of present tense that's sort of just immediate, um, but it, it, you know, there's not a lot, they're still writing a day or two, you know, from when, when, you know, the events occurred. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to do was this sort of uh, frame narrative, which had been on my mind since I began the book, I didn't know quite how to do it. And I think that, um, just sort of seeing it as a, a kind of collage of different, you know, found documents um, that are, you know, sort of being molded for the reader by this um, somewhat mysterious narrator was really appealing to me. I got excited essentially by it. So that excitement gave me the energy to be like, okay, I'm going to really overhaul this thing and essentially completely rewrite it. And in doing so, I found a lot of you know, uh, several twists and layers that I kind of dug up from the process. Like, I, I think that I just discovered more about these characters and who they were, what they were about, because I did that. Um, so it was, but it was a lot of work and yeah, years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and one of the things that you did, you know, with the book that I, that I really appreciated too was, um, and it's more of a subtle kind of uh, plot point in the in the book, but I really liked it, is that we really get to see kind of Philippa and Judy, uh, their romance kind of develop tenderly, uh, a romantic connection to them. And I've always felt like uh, as a reader of, of, of mystery and thriller, you have to give the reader moments where they can kind of breathe a little bit. You know, it can't yes. be all twists and turns and action and conversation yes. and startling reveals and all of this. There has to be a moment where the reader can kind of catch their breath. And I thought you, you placed the, the, the development of their romance so well in the story, just when I felt like I needed kind of a, a break as a reader to kind of, you know, process what I had read previously, uh, but getting me built up for what was to come we had a little bit more about their relationship coming together. And, and I was wondering if, if, is that something that kind of happened, their relationship, was that uh, organically developed or, or did you just feel like because these two characters were so close and had such a bond um, that maybe an, a relationship developing between them was only natural? How did, how did that come together? Because I really felt like that was done so well in the book. Uh, just when I felt like we needed a, a break as a reader, or I needed a break as a reader, mm. we got a little bit of the, the understanding of their romance developing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was from the beginning. I definitely wanted them to have a relationship. I wanted it to be um, not an easy one and not like, you know, you know, it's, it, they are teenagers and they're still in the process of discovering a lot about themselves. So there's a sort of aspect to that relationship, which does become about discovering themselves, um, which I think a lot of teenage relationships are more about you figuring out yourself than you, you know, falling in love with someone else. And so I think that that had, uh, a, you know, a, 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 that was a, something I wanted to do from the beginning. Now, I, I got to tell you, and, and probably something you you have experienced yourself too. You, you're juggling all these balls as a mystery writer: the plot, you know, the character, and 
the, there, that's why rewriting is so important because I think for me, I have to work the plot out. So then I'm like, wait, I need to get the character. I got to work more character in. And so there's a layering pro, sort of process to it. Um, and, I, you know, my plot has, was pretty complex. So I needed uh, to then pull in the character more. And in fact, that was some of the most um, really uh, rich and exciting writing to do was developing those characters and thinking about them. Um, I think when I look back on the process, that was what I was really enjoying the most. Um, I think, I think based on readers, I think that's what they enjoy the most too about it is the characters. Um, and uh, honestly, as a reader, that's what I read for first and foremost. You don't get me wrong. I love a great plot, right? But um, I think that you, uh, it, it just was, the, it, it just, it, but it wasn't necessarily the first thing, which was so interesting about it, because I had to get that architecture of the plot, like, kind of laid out, and and that was, believe me, <laughs> there were times when you're like, oh my gosh, how, what, oh, how did I, how could I forget that? <laughs> what was I, you know, I can fix that, and then, you, you know, you fix one thing, and you have to go back and fix all these others, so, um, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it goes back to that that adage that so many writers have, have said on our show is that the, the real writing is in the rewriting and the revision. Yeah, that's, that's where true. the, that's where the story really comes together. So mm-hmm. you, you've teased a little bit about a second book in the, yeah. in the Savage Kind series. I believe this is being set up as a trilogy. So that's right. Mm-hmm. where, where are we in book number two? Where are you in book number two? When could we maybe expect this? Uh, this sequel, because I can tell you when you finish the Savage Kind, you're going to be ready for the next book. <laughs> I was ready. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I want more. Let's go. Uh, so for, for those annoying readers like me that are out there, when can we expect uh, book two in the series to be to be out or where are you in that process? Yeah, so I, um, I do have book uh, two and three completely outlined. Um, you know, I, there, so the concept here is I'm taking them sort of through the 1950s. So the next book is set for the most part, 1954. And then the last book is in 1963. And I'm sort of charting their relationship and how it evolves over those years as they become, you know, you know, go from teenage to young women to adult women. And, um, and meanwhile, sort of the time period and some of the things going on, you know, uh, I'm really interested a lot in, uh, for the second book, in the uh, Red Scare slash La- Lavender Scare and its impact on Washington, D.C. And, you know, how both uh, people of color and gay people and felt and were impacted by that and where these girls sort of fit into that whole uh, uh, ordeal that, you know, McCarthy and uh, who act started <laughs> and through that time period. So um, it's not hinted at some in the first book, but we kind of go more into it in the second one. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of you know, completing these books, I, I really would love to get, you know, something out into the world in 2023. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, life is life and I have all these day jobs going on. So um, I, I do my best. Um, I, I wish I could kick back and just write. But um, as you well know, uh, most of us writers have uh, some other source of income <laughs> um, that <laughs> we pay the bills and we got to pay the bills. Um, so but, you know, I do know where the story is going and I do have a plan and I would be really excited um, for the next book. I do have a title. It's called Hall of Mirrors. So 
Um, and my publisher has actually already said they like that title. So <laughs> I think I'm good with that one. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I started writing it and it's, it's really fun. I have a whole new point of view character in that. So, which is really exciting to write as well as, you know, the, the girls and um, so. Excellent. Very good. So as we finish up with you today, John, if anyone wants to get in contact uh, to talk to you about the Savage Kind, to talk to you about your first novel, Dodging and Burning, which uh, won the McCavity Award and was a finalist for so many other uh, mystery and crime writing awards, or they just want to talk to you about writing in general, uh, how can they get in contact with you first of all? And then where can they get copies of the Savage Kind? Sure. So uh, the fastest and easiest way to contact me is through my website, www.johncopenhaver.com. And I have, you know, you can send me a, an email, it goes right to my email box through that website. You can also find me on the, you know, Facebook under John Copenhaver and uh, same with Twitter. And then um, uh, John Copenhaver, or John Cope uh, 74 on Instagram, but um, I'm on around on all those. Um, and yeah, you can find my book, uh, you know, I always encourage you to go uh, buy your book to bookshop.org uh, and support your local indie bookstores. Of course, you can always find it on Amazon and, uh, and Barnes and Noble and where you, you know, generally find books. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely always support your indie bookstores. Uh, they help writers. And so I'm always going to plug them. Well, we have been delighted to have with us as our first guest for 2022 here on the program to have John Copenhaver with us today. He is the author of the brand new, outstanding, dark, captivating mystery thriller that you're going to want to add to your to-be-read pile. If you haven't read it already, it is called The Savage Kind. And if you like that and you're like me and you're waiting for the next book in the trilogy, go back and read Dodging and Burning, his first novel. You're not going to be disappointed uh, with that either. So, John, congratulations on the new book. It was a pleasure to have you on the program. And uh, when book two comes out uh, in 2023, we want to have you back on the program to talk about it. So uh, congratulations and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's been a delight. We want to take a moment as we finish up on uh, this episode of Now Appalachia and as we wrap things up to give a, a special shout out to two people who make these podcasts possible and really make these podcasts go. Our executive producer is Pam Stack. She's the producer and executive producer not only of this program, but of all the programs that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So we appreciate that. And we also want to thank uh, the assistant producer, Roman Sorotin, who uh, handles all the technical aspects of everything that that goes on with our podcasts and helps keep our uh, authors on the air global radio network soundcloud page up and operational and has done so much work for many of us with our personal websites and all kinds of other things that we either don't have time or the expertise to do so we could not do it without pam and roman's help so thank you all so much for uh, for that and we look forward to working with you all uh, in 2022 as we keep bringing more podcasts uh both now, now appalachia and others on the network uh to listeners and we also want to remind you in that vein that as we uh, have reminded you many times in 2021 and before, this holds true for 2022, this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. 
Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 